Welcome back, everybody. Glad to have y'all here. I want to talk about UFC uh, 222 going down tomorrow night on pay-per-view at uh, 9 p.m. Central Time. This is Mario Zapata. You're with us with the MMA Fresh Take podcast. This is going to be, uh, I'm going to try to make this a little bit of a shorter um, episode today. Just go in depth a little bit about the top two fights for tomorrow night in Chris Cyborg versus Yana Kunitskaya, and then Frankie Edgar versus uh, Brian Ortega, the big up-and-coming prospect uh, or uh, contender in the featherweight division. So let's really look and focus on those two fights in particular, and then we'll just go briefly over the card, the, the rest of the card, which has a lot of potential stars, has a lot of great matchups. This is looking to actually be one of the better cards of the year. I believe doesn't mean that it'll translate into big pay-per-view numbers, but I do believe that this could be one of the more entertaining cards. So if you're on the fence about actually watching and taking a look at this uh, pay-per-view or going to Buffalo Wild Wings or something, watching it there, I would strongly suggest that you do make the effort to go watch this fight card. There are a lot of young, talented uh, potential stars on this card that you'll want to potentially watch in the future. So, uh, with that being said, let's get right into it. Let's start off with the main event. Yana Kunitskaya is coming in, making her UFC debut versus the vaunted and the uh, the talented Chris Cyborg, who arguably is the best female fighter in the history of the game. And considering her long run how many fights she's won, just the pure dominance that she's maintained over the division, I would say that that has been, uh, that that she should be considered the greatest fighter of all time when it comes to, to the women's uh, ranks, and one of the greatest ever, of course, but let's get into this. I just took a, a little look at Yana Kunitskaya against her previous two opponents, and um, I just really didn't come away, come away super impressed here. I know that she has more of a kickboxing background. She defeated Tanya Evinger that was later overturned to no contest, I believe, due to the fact that there were some issues with how the ref stopped the fight. They thought that they, the ref stopped the fight without there actually being a verbal tap or a regular tap. So there were some issues there, but she does show the ability to really threat with submissions, threatens with submissions. She did that in her last fight as well. Um, I just... One of the things, though, I, I thought was she just doesn't have the best uh, ground takedown defense, unfortunately. She is someone that I don't think is going to be very hard for Chris Cyborg to take down should she choose to do so. Um, on the other hand, I just really wasn't super impressed with what I saw from her striking-wise. Um, I know that she's got a talented background, an extended background in striking, but there was nothing there that showed me that she was going to be able to give Chris Cyborg the type of issues that, that um, you know, maybe even a Holly Holm was able to, or, or um, you know, maybe way back in the day, someone like a, uh, like a Gina Carano may, may uh, put, in for, put forth in front of her. So, Yana Kunitskaya, I don't believe she has a ton of power with her striking, uh, not enough to defeat the likes of a Chris Cyborg. I don't believe she's good enough on the ground to dominate Cyborg on the ground either. She's a woman that has 7K or TKO victories, so 
In the fights that I saw, I may not have seen much, but she has been known to finish her opponents, so maybe it's just the fact that I haven't seen enough of Kunitskaya to be impressed with her, and the fact that, you know, in her last three fights, she's fought Tanya Evinger twice, which is definitely a step up in opponent, considering, uh, as opposed to the, to, to the women she's been fighting throughout her whole career. So, she just didn't look very comfortable in her last fight either, um... Striking, I, I thought she looked comfortable, but she just didn't look look ultra effective. She won that fight by unanimous decision. Um, but ultimately, I just believed that Chris Cyborg's going to be too much. I thought it was really dangerous in the last fight that we saw how methodical, how patient Chris Cyborg was. She really has come into her own, I think, with uh, Perillo being behind her. I think he's really... Um, tamed her strike in a little bit, her aggression, and has really used that to her advantage. She has a lot of ath athleticism that goes along with her fighting that people don't really talk about. She's a great athlete. She's going to be extremely hard to take down for Kunitskaya. If they get it down to the ground, I have confidence that Chris Cyborg will be able to uh, stay out of any submissions that Kunitskaya may present to her, and I do believe that she'd be able to control on the top and land some heavy, heavy ground and pound that we've seen in the past from her. I also just think it's going to be too much on the on the feet. I don't think Kunitskaya is going to be one of these people like Holly Holm, who's really going to be super effective with her counter-striking. I think that Cyborg could march forward in this fight, uh, really impose her will, really close the distance and land some powerful shots. I see this ending in the first round, unfortunately for Yana Kunitskaya, and I just believe that this will be another uh, highlight added to Chris Cyborg's long, long history of highlight real moments, and she'll win this fight emphatically and go on to her next thing, which could be a matchup against Kat Zingano, who's also fighting on this card, should Zingano win, or could set up a potential champion versus champion matchup against Amanda Nunes, who's scheduled to face Raquel Pennington later this year. But should she get past Raquel Pennington uh, with with somewhat ease and come out of those that fight healthy, then you can really set up that champion versus champion fight right there. So that takes care of the main event. Let's talk a little bit about the co-main event. This is one that was really hard for me to just figure out how 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 this fight is going to take place. So I had to do a little bit of studying here in Brian Ortega as well as, as Frankie Edgar. I thought Brian Ortega, some of the key notes that I had from his first, from his last fight against Cub Swanson is that he was doing well with his movement defensively early, but he was really struggling to land and Swanson was still uh, landing good number of shots, even though Ortega's defensive guard was up. Basically, Ortega holds his hands very high, um, close to his face to, to to provide good defense because he's not really worried about the takedown, so he doesn't have to keep his hands low at all. But he was clearly slower than Cub Swanson, and Cub Swanson was still able to break through that guard because with the smaller gloves, it's easier to break through a guard like that rather than like in boxing if you keep your hands up like that consistently you know you're going to get a lot of ricochet off the forearms off the gloves off the off the arms in general um now what was impressive about that fight was that Ortega was so much bigger than Cub Swanson at the end of the round he was able to wrap up an anaconda choke that was nearly finished at the end of the round if it hadn't been for the clock 
I believe Cub Swanson would have tapped with about maybe five seconds more left in the round. But he set it up standing, and that's extremely impressive. He locked it up very quickly, and he had him in position to finish the fight. So even though that Ortega was having a lot of trouble in that round dealing with Cub Swanson, uh, Cub Swanson striking that was clearly better than Ortega's, I thought that he did a great, fantastic job in ending the round with a with a with the potential to submit Cub Swanson. In the second round, what I noticed is is that. Uh, that he was trying to pressure Swanson, trying to create offense, but he was still continually struggling with his speed, the speed of Swanson. That really presented some issues for Brian Ortega. It showed that Ortega is not yet at the type of level, striking-wise, where he can really counter a guy that's going to go first. He's really got to get his offense off first. If he's not able to... Uh, there is the ability for his, it leaves his opponent the ability to to make the proper adjustments to land his own offense and be very effective with it. Um, the movement of Swanson was getting better, I believe, in the second round and was giving uh, was giving Ortega a lot of issues. He wasn't able to land a lot of offense. He wasn't able to throw a lot because he was just trying to catch up most of the time. When they finally did get in close together. Ortega wrapped up that guillotine, that standing guillotine, adjusted the grip, and got the tap. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal effort by Brian Ortega. I thought that it really did show, though, how he can have issues with a guy who's not necessarily the most powerful. Cub Swanson has real finishing ability, but I wouldn't call it the one, one-punch knockout power, where... Ortega was able to take his shots because he does have such a good chin at this point. But if this had been a straight, um, you know, striking competition, he definitely would have gotten dominated by Cub Swanson. But his physical tools with him being so much bigger than Cub and his ability to just finish from about any position, whether they're standing up on the ground with submission is very impressive and makes it very dangerous for you to go in on him or for you to even grapple with him. So that's what is most dangerous with Brian. That's what's most dangerous with Brian Ortega right there. I looked at his his, his second to last fight, which was against Hanato Moicano, which was also a fight in which Ortega was not backing down. He definitely likes to come forward. He was trading a lot with Moicano in that first round. He was getting tagged quite a bit but he was landing some success, successful shock, shots as well. The reason for that was because Hanato was kind of staying in the pocket, was willing to trade punches with Brian Ortega. He wasn't moving around very much. And Brian Ortega actually has some ability to throw some explosive dynamic strikes as his, of his own, whether it comes with the knees, the flying knees, things of that nature, and gets it off very well. If someone's going to stay right in his face, he has the ability to... Uh, land some of his pow- some of his powerful strikes as well. Where Brian started to lose this fight was in the second round, where Marcano was starting to move around a lot better. He was being more efficient with his striking. He was doing a much better job of making Ortega chase him and not just standing in the pocket, leaving uh, himself open to be countered by Ortega and for Ortega to feel comfortable throwing. He was landing a lot more effectively and making it hard for Ortega to land the whole to- the whole round. And then Ortega wasn't going for any of the takedowns, which I think can be a detriment to Ortega sometimes. He should be going for takedowns in these rounds when he's starting to lose the striking battle. 
but sometimes he doesn't really go for them. Um, as you could tell that as Moicano's movement was lessening in the later end of the round, Ortega was then again start able to land uh, the better shots once again. In the third round, Ortega was landing some nice body shots, and I think that he was doing that throughout the fight to really get Moicano to not move around as much and to get him a little bit tired. Ortega finally, uh, Moicano finally went for a takedown on Ortega. Ortega quickly wrapped up a guillotine in no time, got the tap. So, and that's another fight where he was losing the fight striking-wise, and he ended up pulling out a fantastic third-round victory in that fight. So, I thought that was a really most important thing to do is go back and study Brian Ortega's last two fights, see how he fights, what are his weaknesses, what are his strengths. So his strengths are that if he does get you standing in the pocket, he can certainly trade with you. He does have some dynamic strikes that he can use to his to um, you know to his success, and he's very powerful as well. He's got a fantastic chin as well. He's not one that easily gets hurt. His weaknesses is that. When he does start to begin to strike with someone who's going to use movement, uses head movement, who's constantly moving around with their footwork, that gives him real issues. He becomes very hesitant to strike, not in the sense that he's scared to strike, but he, I don't think, has a good understanding of how to cut the corners, cut people off, and be able to make them play his game and really get them back into his range. If someone's the striker portion of every fight for Brian Ortega that I've seen shows that he has to play the game that his opponent wants to play. The same way that if you start getting into these submissions situations or grappling situations, you have to play Brian Ortega's game because that's what he's good at. He's going to lead that dance every time. So in saying that, Brian Ortega is much better than Frankie Edgar when it comes to the ground game, I believe, because he's got real finishing ability and special finishing ability in the sense that he can find a way to finish a fight <coughs> excuse me from various positions whether he's standing in the clinch or on the ground he's always going to be someone that's very very tough to um, not be threatened with a submission if you get into some sort of close range with him you saw that in the Cub Swanson fight, and one of the things I noticed is that Brian Ortega was so much bigger than Cub that it allowed him to get those submissions easier. He's going to be very big compared to Frankie Edgar as well. That's going to be a huge issue for Frankie. If they do get into the clinch, look for Brian Ortega to quickly quickly get a part of that neck and or you know maybe get a Quamora or something, get it to ground, and get the quick tap for Frankie Edgar. But this is where I think Frankie Edgar is going to shine in this fight. I believe that he's going to do enough with his footwork, with his striking, and the fact that it's only three rounds that he has to worry about. He's going to be very careful and methodical and very and use a really good game planning to make sure that he just gets in and out, in and out, in and out. If he does get hurt by Brian Ortega with a big shot, in which we know that Frankie can, this fight is going to end for Frankie Edgar. Brian Ortega will hunt him down. He will get close in on him, and he will get uh, he will get the the submission. I think that's how high level Brian Ortega's submission game is, especially when a guy like Frankie Edgar is hurt, because Frankie's natural um, inclination or his natural reaction to being hurt is to wrestle, to get in close, and to get in the clinch. That is not what he wants to do in this fight. So I believe if if Ortega is able to land like a big knee 
on Frankie Edgar. The fight is going to end poorly for Frankie. And a lot of these fights where he does get hurt, he doesn't get finished. He's never been finished before, right? This is one of the guys that if you get hurt against him, your movement uh, is not going to be good enough alone. You're really going to have to recover very quickly so that you can implement your uh, your game plan once again. But I do believe that Frankie Edgar will stay out of trouble. I think that he's going to really um, show that Brian Ortega has a lot to improve on in his striking still because he's just going to be too fast, um, too, too well-rounded as far as moving around the octagon. He's really going to use his footwork to his advantage. I believe that this ends in a three-round decision for Frankie Edgar coming out the victor and uh, winning by unanimous decision. So that's how I believe that fight's going to go down. But this is what I'll say. I'm not trying to sit on the fence here at all, but Brian Ortega has that aura about him right now, that vibe around him where he just feels like he's on the verge of becoming a superstar in the featherweight division. You know, becoming a star, I should say, uh, with the potential to have superstar status down the road, right? It just feels like there's something special about this man right here. He's very honest with himself. He understands what he needs to work on. He understands his strengths and his weaknesses. And when it comes down to the moment where he needs to be clutching, gaining victory, he somehow finds a way to get that done. He's had new a few third-round finishes, and that is super impressive. That is highly difficult, especially in a sport where the later you go, into the fight, the harder it is to finish an opponent, especially because conditioning is such a big issue in this sport. And, you know, especially with submissions, the, the longer you go into the fight, the slippery, the slippery it gets, the more sweat that you have to deal with or blood potentially. And that can make it very difficult for you to uh, lock up a submission. But for Ortega, his skills are so high class that he is dangerous at any moment in this fight. If this was going five rounds, I would bet on Ortega being able to find a submission in one of those five rounds. But with it being three rounds, I believe that Frankie Edgar is going to be able to use his gas tank to his uh, full advantage because he's only having to train for three rounds rather than five. That's going to be able to assist him very well. He's not going to really um, slow down too much and uh, he's only going to have to worry about that risk for three rounds. I believe he gets two out of the three rounds and wins by unanimous decision. So that's what I think about the top two fights. Let me know what you think at Zapata MMA on Twitter, how you think those fights will go down. I do believe that Ortega has a real potential to come out on top in this, in this fight. It is a fantastic, fantastic fight. For Max Holloway to drop out, this has to be the best fight that you could have put together um, aside from Max Holloway from Frank Frankie Edgar. There is a lot of intrigue here. Wouldn't be surprised to see Ortega to win this one, but at the end of the day, I have Frankie Edgar by unanimous decision and Christine, Christine uh, Cyborg winning by first round KO. Let's go down the rest of this card very quickly. We've got Sean O'Malley versus Andres Sukmata. Um, Sean O'Malley is a guy who was on the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series. He had a very impressive win. Everyone remembers him uh, smoking, you know, uh, smoking weed with Snoop Dogg after his fight. So he's got a lot of hype coming down uh, behind him. He's in the feature bout on this pay-per-view card. This is a guy that they're really trying to push right now. He uh, won his UFC debut fight 
against Tyrion were in a decision, unanimous decision. A lot of people were kind of disappointed that he wasn't able to get the finish, but he's going up against Andre Sukmata in a fight where he defeated Luke Saunders by TKO in his last fight, who was a pretty well-known prospect, so that was pretty impressive, but lost split decisions to both Albert Morales and Alejandro Perez in his previous two fights in the UFC. So I think that this fight was set up very well for Sean O'Malley to come out on top. It was a good uh, test for him, a guy that's coming off a TKO win, but ultimately is 1-2 and two in the UFC against a guy they really want to push in Sean O'Malley. He's got a very awkward personality, someone that can be a little bit defiant. He's coming out with his own weed strain. He's also coming out with, um, you know, he's been wearing some interesting uh, clothing to really stand out. He's got the great hairdo and, um, you know, the strange tattoos. He's an interesting character. He's got a great personality. He's not afraid to be different. So this is a guy that they really want to push in that lighter weight class in the 135-pound division. We'll see if he's able to come out on top. But another thing with Sugar Sean O'Malley is he's only 23 years old. He's got a lot of time to really improve, work on his game, work on his skills, and find what it is exactly that he wants to use fight in and fight out to really gain victory. He's got fantastic striking, very awkward and, and uh, dynamic striking as well. He's 5'11", so he's very tall for the weight class. This is an interesting cat here. If you're interested in some of these prospects, this is going to be one of the guys that you're going to want to pay attention to. If he's able to get a finish, expect a good interview afterwards and for him to start getting some real steam towards stardom in this division. Next up is going to be Stefan Struve versus Andre Arlovsky, two guys that are veterans of the division. They're going to be in the heavyweight fight, and that's going to be the second fight on the pay-per-view. Then you've got Kat Zingano versus Ketlin Vieira. This is a very intriguing fight. Kat Zingano coming off a two-fight losing streak. In her last two fights, she lost to Juliana Pena and Ronda Rousey. So that should tell you how long how long it's been since she's fought. Ronda Rousey is no longer participating in the UFC at this moment, and she just made her WWE debut um, about two, three, four weeks ago, right? Juliana Pena, since beating Kat Zingano, is is pregnant right now and I believe is pretty close to giving birth. If not, she's already has given birth. So that shows you how long it's been since Kat Zingano has been in that octagon. She's fighting 26-year-old Ketlin Vieira from Brazil. Ketlin Vi- uh, Vieira is a Nova Uniao fighter. She is 3-0 and in the UFC with two decision victories to open up her uh, UFC career. And then she had a very good win over Sarah McMahon with us arm triangle choke so she finished that by submission so that was very impressive but as we've seen Sarah McMahon recently got submitted by Marion Renault so it, it is possible that Sarah McMahon just has some real issues that Vieira was able to take advantage of so this is going to be a real good test for Ketlin Vieira here if she can beat a woman of this caliber in Kat Zingano that will really tell me a lot although Zingano is already 35 years old she's coming off two straight losses to Ronda Rousey and Juliana Pena I would say that she wasn't able to live up to her potential in either of those fights with Ronda she just ran in on her quickly got submitted so we don't really know how that fight would have played out had she actually stuck to a game plan with Pena 
She lost by unanimous decision, so she did lose that fight fair and square. She has been out for some, quite some time, so it would be interesting to see what type of game plan she tries to implement in this situation. I believe Zangano will come out on top, but Caitlin Vieira, another woman, 26 years old from Brazil, has the opportunity to, to start making her case for being a star in that 135-pound division as well. Um, just to go back to the last two fights, I'm not really going to go in depth on and the rest of the fights, but I will make picks. I'll take Andre Arlovsky versus Stefan Struve. I'll take Sean O'Malley over Andre Sukmatov. Then you've got Mackenzie Dern versus Ashley Yoder. I will take Mackenzie Dern. I'll ride the hype train in this in this uh, matchup. Yeah, Ashley Yoder is going to be you know a tough opponent for her. She did lose by unanimous decision in her first two UFC fights against Justin Kish and Angela Hill, but uh, Mackenzie Dern is coming in in her first fight. She's only been fighting for about two years in mixed martial arts. So she's coming in very early in the UFC. She, will How will she deal with the UFC jitters? She's had a ton of hype around her. She's had a ton of media attention. She's had to do a lot of interviews. She's been on UFC Embedded. And another thing that could play against her is that she was the last fighter to weigh in this morning for the UFC weigh-ins. She did make weight at 116, but we know that that weigh-in is very, very difficult for her to make. So how will that play into the fight tomorrow? Did it take a toll on her considering Ashley Yoder was the first fighter to make weight, Mackenzie Dern the very last, and by a, by a large margin, she was the very last. I think the, the last fighter to weigh in before her was like 30 to 45 minutes before her, so I wonder how much of a toll that will take on her, but she's a phenomenal jiu-jitsu practitioner. I'll be very interested to see how long this stays on the feet and if she's able to strike, um, you know, with any success and what that looks like, but I'd also be very intrigued to see how quickly she is able to get it to the ground and if she's able to dominate a girl like Ashley Yoder, who's a little bit more considered a grappler. How a, How much is she able to dominate MMA grapplers because MMA jiu-jitsu and grappling is different than just pure jiu-jitsu right so is she going to be able to really come into this world of mixed martial arts and implement her game in similar ways that Ronda Rousey was able to I don't want to compare this woman to Ronda Rousey because she's not Ronda Rousey she's got a different game she's very much uh, elite in her own ways but I'm just bringing it up in the sense that Ronda Rousey she was able to implement her game plan, fight and fight, fight out until she faced Holly Holm and Amanda Nunes. Is Mackenzie Dern so good at jiu-jitsu, so much better than everyone else, that she will be able to have similar success as Ronda Rousey? If so, she's got a great look to her. A lot of fans are very intrigued with her. She's got an interesting accent that that uh, you know people like to talk about, um, and she just has that superstar potential to be the next big thing in the women's division, in the women's ranks, and just in the UFC in general, if she's able to be successful, if she ever gets to a title, she will be a superstar, but this is her first test, and we'll see how it goes, and we'll see if she's able to uh, take the next step and prove that she is UFC ready. Next fight is going to be Benil Dariush versus up-and-coming, uh, or against Alexander Hernandez, who's making his UFC debut. I'll take Benil Dariush in this fight. I believe it's going to be tough for a guy like Alexander Hernandez, who has a great record. Haven't really seen him fight that much, but I'm just assuming that this is going to be 
too much of a task for this guy to come in on his first fight and beat a top 15 type lightweight like Benil Darius, who's been battle tested in the UFC. But it'll be an exciting victory if Alex Hernandez is able to get a win over a top ranked guy like this. And that could quickly propel him into real tough competition in that deep lightweight uh, division. John Dodson versus Pedro Munoz. I'll take Pedro Munoz on this. I believe John Dodson's a little bit on the downturn of his career, unfortunately, at this point in time. He's very explosive, still has a lot of power, but he's not the most active in his uh, fighting style, which can land to him having some down moments in some rounds and gives opportunity for the opposing fighter to win the fight. Pedro Munoz coming off a four-fight win streak over Russell Doan, Justin Scoggins, Damian Stasiak, and Rob Font, in which he's submitted three of those four uh, opponents. Justin Scoggins and Rob Font, in my opinion, are fantastic victories for him. I think that he's really coming into his own in this division. He's uh, 31 years old, so still probably in his prime right now, as opposed to John Dodson, who's 33, and I believe a true bantamweight, and he's lost in a split decision to Marlon Marias, in which he was very competitive, and won against Eddie Wineland, lost a split decision to John Lineker. I do believe that John Dodson is still very much has a chance in this fight, no doubt about it. This is a very good matchup, but I believe Pedro Munoz will go on to win and, and uh, continue to rise in the ranks. Last four fights. Hector Lombard versus C.B. Dalloway, Zach Otto versus Mike Pyle, Brian Caraway versus Cody Stamen. I'm not too familiar with uh, any of these. Uh, you know, some of these matchups, I would assume that Brian Caraway is the favorite against Cody Stamen, but I have heard of Cody Stamen and his career coming into the UFC. He seems to be one of these prospects that to really look in the groom and see if he can start to make some. Uh, some some real noise in this 135-pound division. So if he's able to get a win over a tough guy like Brian Caraway, that will really help make a name for himself. As far as Hector Lombard and C.B. Dalloway, I would assume that Hector may win this fight, but there's really no telling both of these guys past their primes at this point in time. Zach Otto versus Mike Pyle. Just want to say something real quick about Mike Pyle. This is his retirement fight. He says that he'll no longer be competing after this. What a career that Mike Pyle's had. He never really fulfilled his potential to, from what I've heard. A lot of people have said that he was actually the best fighter in his stable at his gym. But he was just never able to get to that level inside the octagon. He's lost four of his last five fights, unfortunately. But he went on a fantastic run before losing to Matt Brown. Um, so, been a fun fighter to watch, but 42 years old. Glad to see that he's finally going to call it quits, and uh, good luck to him. See if he can get go out on a high note as um, as hard as we know that, that it is to do that in the sport of mixed martial arts. If he's able to do that, then kudos to him. And then the last fight is Jordan Johnson versus Adam Milstead. Not too familiar with either of these guys, but we'll definitely be tuning in to watch this. Guys, one guy's eight and zero, other guy's um, eight and one. This is a light heavyweight. This is a light heavyweight fight. So, uh, or is it a light heavyweight fight? Um, it's either a light heavyweight or a heavyweight fight. I believe it's light heavyweight. Um, and we definitely know that that division needs, definitely needs some more um, 
blood in there, especially whether it's heavyweight or light heavyweight. They definitely need more blood in there, and that those divisions need to start grooming some more talent. So I'm not saying that these either of these guys are those guys to do it, but it's always good to see new names, fresh faces, even though these guys have both competed in the UFC already. Let's see if one of these guys can really start to make some improvements with their overall game and is able to start making noise in their respective divisions. So let me know what y'all think at Sabata MMA on Twitter, like I said. Um, what do y'all think about the fight card? I think that this is, again, a fantastic opportunity for a lot of guys to start gaining some star power, such as the likes of Brian Ortega, who could really take it to that next level, set himself for the title shot. Yana Kunitskaya, she has an opportunity. If she defeats Chris Cyborg, she will immediately become a big sensation in mixed martial arts. And, you know, with the type of look that she has, with the the type of style that she has, I think that she could have some sort of ability to uh, gain some star power. Don't think it's very likely, but again, she's in position for it. Sean O'Malley, he's in position to really start gaining some traction. You've got Katz and Gano coming back, potentially winning this fight and potentially being the next opponent for Chris Cyborg, so this is huge for her. Ketlin Vieira, if she's able to win, she'll have two wins over two uh, well-known fighters in that division, and she's 26 from Brazil. That is a good opportunity for her. Mackenzie Dern uh, has a ton of hype from her uh, behind her right now. 24 years old, another youngster right there. So there is a lot to look forward to in this card. We'll see how it goes down. Until then, enjoy the fights, guys, and I'll talk to you all next week. See ya. Bye.